I'm Andy Crouch, inviting you to download and listen to the new Beer Edge podcast, a source for news, information, and insight regarding the brewing industry and the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The show, co-hosted by John Hall and I, talks with key players on the front lines of the beer business to give you insights and advice on how to navigate these uncharted waters. The Beer Edge podcast is available on all major platforms, or you can visit us at beeredge.com slash podcasts. Thanks for your support. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. It's the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and I'm going to tell you about today's guest, Chase Healy of American Solera, in just a moment. But first, I'd like to invite you to check out BeerEdge.com. There, you can find articles, links to individual shows of this podcast, as well as the Beer Edge podcast, and you can subscribe to our industry newsletter. And please, also don't forget our social media channels, at The Beer Edge. And please don't forget also to subscribe to this show and to leave a review. It does help others find out what we're doing here. Okay, enough of the business. Now it's on to the fun. A few years ago, when I worked at All About Beer magazine, I was able to visit Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I spent a pretty memorable evening at American Solera, the brewery founded by Chase Healy. His original intent was to create beers in wood using the Solera method. His then location was relatively new, But the brewer who cut his teeth and made a name for himself at Prairie Artisan Ales did not disappoint with what was being poured from bottles. The beers were lively and complex and showcased the deliberateness of time, wood, and sometimes fruit. The business has changed a lot since then. In fact, the whole industry has changed, and he's since moved into a new location. And rather than just focusing on one style or method, he's branched out into new beery avenues. We spoke towards the end of June, and it was an early morning call, and we were both on cups of coffee, and Chase spoke to me from the brewery in Tulsa, where his team was just getting going. So I started off by asking him what was being brewed. Here's our conversation. We are making a double batch of hard seltzer, some sugar water. Um, I guess it's all sugar water, but this is, yeah, as plain as it gets, I guess. When you... Founded American Solera going on, what, four years now? Yeah, we started back in uh, 2016. Uh, that, that that August, the laws changed in our state, allowing direct-to-consumer sales. So we opened with the strategy of a majority of our sales being direct and from our tap room. I mean, at that point, though, the, the wave of White Claw hadn't even begun to crest yet, as far as I know. Um I don't even think it was in, yeah, it wasn't even, uh, maybe did it exist? I don't even know. Well, I mean, there were FMBs that were out there. Yeah. Um, What was your attitude towards those four years ago, and how did you come to the... How did we go from that to four years ago, American (laughs) Solera was, yeah, in a little warehouse along the river in West Tulsa with like seven, 16 fooders in it, and I don't think I'd brewed an IPA in in years um to now you know sitting in a new facility where we're making 30 barrels of seltzer and um have probably more ipa on tap than than other styles and it's um it's just been a journey i guess but a a lot of that does come from the direct to consumer experience and, and working in a tap room and you know uh just creating flavors and 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 playing with ideas because they're they're 
not so permanent. So we can try things and, and play and, and there's like not a lot of, lot of not a lot of downside to it. Cause like we just, we, we, we have a hit or we don't, and then we go to the next, next, next idea or we dig, dig deeper. So, um, you know, our brewery's like main purpose is, is to play with flavors. And, and, and so going from being a brewer that was, you know, very traditional and very strict in how we created our flavors to, um, one that really I'm not too, don't feel too limited anymore is, uh, been, been, been a lot of fun, um, more than anything. But, but to me, like even the seltzer route and the way we're making it, it's just another, you know, paintbrush in the, in the, in the sheath, um, of, of tools that, that we can use here. Well, when you say the way that you're making it, um, are you deviating from, you know, just the standard boiling sugar water, clean yeast, adding some fruit? You know, like what's the, yeah, I guess we're, I guess it's, we're not going too crazy, but I mean, you know, we're not necessarily worried about it being like an uncolored, you know, plain, you know, we're not doing any kind of you know, filtration or we're worried about trying to make any like amount of sugar claims or, or anything like that. We're just trying to make something that, that tastes good to us. And, um, you know, we're more worried about the way it, it the way it tastes than if it's like low in calories or anything like that. Are, I mean, that's part of the original allure of the hard seltzers. I think for a lot of folks is the low calorie, you know, no carb, um, lifestyle. Um, but if you're not necessarily focusing on that, have you found, obviously you're making it and you're making a double batch of it. So you've found a receptive audience, but has it been uniformly receptive by people who might otherwise drink the White Claws or the Trulies or whatever else is out there? You know, I mean, we've just really dipped our toes into it. You know, it took us, it took us kind of, we, we screwed, honestly, we screwed up a couple of times trying to make it and not being happy with the results. And then you know, looking at what, you know, evil twins done with his evil water and, and chatting with them about kind of like their thoughts on it. And then finally honing it in, it's, um, you know, it's, it's honestly like our best seller. So it's pretty funny, <laughs> um, kind of deal. So, you know, we've only, we've only put out one so far and now this, this double batch will turn into three more brands and, and it's really just about playing. So, this first one was a collaboration with uh, Evil Water out of uh, Brooklyn, New York, or mm-hmm. Queens, or whatever. And um, it was lemon hibiscus with ginger sea salt. And um, so we don't necessarily want to make black cherry or, you know, strawberry, you know, like kiwi you know, lime. We and, the, yeah. We want to play with the flavors. And um, like, so this next run you know we'll do like a tangerine raspberry which is, is pretty safe um but then we're gonna play with um LaCroix put out like a cola and we all loved it now you can't buy it anymore but so we're playing with creating like a cola version of you know hard seltzer or like using toasted coconut and kind of seeing what it does so i don't think we're doing anything too uh too crazy or out there but you know we want to play with it and again it's just making something that's fun, fun to drink. And, you know, we make a lot of kind of, you know, more aggressive beers that aren't necessarily for every beer drinker. So um, <laughs> creating something that, that allows our everyone to have an experience with, with our, with things we're making in our, in our tap room is, is a big, a big piece for us. Cause um, 
you know, more than anything. And, and, and this comes from being years out in an isolated spot in mm-hmm. a warehouse district in a utility, you know, really not friendly space to now. Be <laughs> I visited. Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah. Like we want to be the community spot that people love to come to. And there's, you know, it's very comfortable and there's something for everyone here. And so, you know, we can make the three year blended spontaneous, you know, things, but we can, we can go from one, one side to the other. And I think, you know, allow giving ourselves permission to do that has, has been, been huge. Um, and, and it's, it's just fun. And we, you know, we can, we can be really strict and we can be as out there as anyone wants. And, and, and it creates a space that, that everyone can enjoy. So you say the word permission and giving yourself permission to do that. When you first opened this though, the plan was to, to really just sort of focus on, blending beer over multiple years like the the traditional solera method right i mean right you weren't and thinking we still, about ipas you weren't thinking about lagers no but i mean at the time even when i was starting to fill all my fooders and work on those projects um we weren't allowed to self-distribute or have a tap room or anything so you know a year before those laws happened and it happened quickly in mm-hmm. our state going we went from having some of the strictest liquor laws in the country to some of the most relaxed and yeah i remember uh, visiting right after those were lifted yeah yeah everyone wanted that to happen but at the time i couldn't plan for it so all of a sudden you're able to have a tap room and you need beers that can come out a little quicker than a year you know eight months like we need stuff that's already in three weeks um and so again it's like that expert can we do these styles and explore creating like really excellent and well like created bold flavors and do the same thing say that we're trying to do when we're trying to extract flavor from you know fruit in a mixed fermentation beer can we create the same flavor extraction and experience using you know hops in a hoppy beer and i mean that's i think i think the same mentality is still going on and what we're trying to achieve it's just using a you know it's just on a different different scale and and scope, but the same goals are are still there and in, in um you know creating flavor. So the original space um, was sort of conducive to your early vision for the brewery, and now I guess just within the last couple of months, less than a year, uh, you've moved into a, a a new much larger space. Um, and what you all are calling the brewery district. Um, yeah. Was that totally. part of the evolution of the beers as well of, you know, if you're going to go to a place that is not quite as remote or desolate. Um, I just, I remember visiting uh, your original location, parking on the far end of the parking lot and wondering, you know, if I was going to be, you know, snatched up by the shadows uh, walking from my car to, <laughs> to your tap room. Um, Come on. It's just, it's just like, you know, a sandblaster on one side and a junkyard on the other. So <laughs> yeah, what could possibly know. go wrong? <laughs> yeah, that's usually where all the family-friendly movies are set, not the horror films. Yeah, is yeah. the sandblasters and the junkyards. Yeah, um, but it, did that? So one, I guess, what um, brought you to the move, um, and then also, you know, it's so interesting to me when breweries you know, decide to sort of cluster together because sometimes there's strengths in numbers, but then there's also worries of increased competition uh, as well. So I'm sort of curious about um, how you sort of weighed 
the risks rewards. Yeah. I mean, the biggest piece of that is, um, Tulsa is just a town that's really kind of on, on the, you know, is a, is a growing and, and, um, kind of just on the verge of really becoming a special place. And so for here, unlike somewhere like maybe in Austin, um, you know, we've got to be more centralized and make it easy for people. And so, you know, there was one point where I owned, you know, 17 acres of an old golf course that I was going to turn into a farm like 30 minutes outside of town. And, um, I mean, I own that and I'm glad I don't anymore, (laughs) um, kind of thing. So, um, you know, um, one second, the brewers, everyone in the brewery just cranked yacht rock here and I can't absolutely turn it down for you for one second. I gotta fix this. Lose my train of thought here. Yeah, yacht rock can be very, very distracting. Sorry about that. All good. So um let me get back to the uh sorry. <laughs> um ask the can you ask the question again? Well no, just sort of the, the risk versus rewards of going into where other breweries are yeah so yeah like i was saying you know tulsa's a a kind of up-and-coming city so creating momentum for what we're doing and um creating a destination where someone on a saturday can park a car and have you know one two three four five six different experiences in six different spaces um i mean that's just fun yeah so we all kind of have our own vibe and our own kind of identity and and the things we're making, you know, the Marshall who's to the East of us, you know, does really great lagers and some more traditional beers and Kevin boys on the other side of the, of our patio, you know, does does some different Belgian styles. And then there's a cidery and a distillery and then one more brewery on the other side of us a couple blocks away. And, you know, they're making some kind of more experimental beer. And um, so everyone kind of has something to offer. Everyone's, you know, aesthetic is different. And so it works really well here. Um, and, and, the, and the fact of the matter is, is like our old space just was not convenient for anyone. So just being in town, I mean, hell, I live just, you know, less than three miles away from here. So, um, you know, being near people is helpful, but at least not being so isolated that, it just keeps people away was just a win for us for sure. Um, but it, it, it hasn't felt at least from our perspective as a, you know, increased competition. I mean, in fact, the brewery, we just released a collaboration with the brewery that's on the other side of our, there's like a rail spur between us. That's now just our patio. Um, we did a collaboration where we brewed wart in our brew house and we had enough hose to connect to the fermenters in their brewery and what's and we made wort, wort for each other and sent it, you know, from one brewery to the other, just pumped it right out of the brew house. And what, what's the brewery? That's cabin boys. Brewery. Yeah. So, and so it's, it's a like a hundred, it's like a hundred feet. That's, that's the, what the beer's called. Yeah. yeah. hundred feet. So, um, so that gives you an idea of kind of the friendships and the morale around here is we all want everyone to succeed and, and, um, you know, so much that, you know, they're next door and we'll still make beer with them. So it's a uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty fun to be down here. Um, who came up with the idea to just run hoses between the breweries? 
man, I, I, I think it was mine quite a bit ago. And then like, we've just been really in getting this place kind of open mode and getting situated. And so there was never really a great time to do it. And then finally, you know, with the virus and kind of things slowing down a little bit, it, it was presented an opportunity for us to do something that showed kind of us being, you know, friends and, and, um, we just, they, they one day said we had an open tank and we're like, well, let's do that one idea. And then we just kind of went for it. So it, uh, and what'd you make? It was a session IPA. We just wanted something easy drinking, something people can come that are comfortable, come back and hang out and have one and, um, you know, our patio or theirs. And, and it was just a, a pretty fun project all around. So you mentioned the slowdown, uh, COVID-19 has obviously impacted pretty much every American at this point and, uh, businesses of, of, of all sizes. Um, how have the last couple of months been for you? Oklahoma has, uh, you know, they've, they've maybe been quick to get reopened, uh, for better or worse. And it's been, I think about, about a month now we've started about a month ago, we started letting people have beer in, uh, you know, separate tables on our patio to now about a week and at two weeks ago, starting to let people be spaced out inside. I mean, we've got a space with, you know, 50 foot high ceilings, very open air and starting to allow people to come in, but still only consume like canned products. Mm-hmm. And now in the last week we have started serving draft in glassware again. And so we've slowly been phasing in, but it was interesting for a couple months where we had to pivot from being, you know, each batch like 30%, 40% draft, 60% package to 100% package. And luckily there were lots of places that wanted that package beer because that's what people were buying. So right. the shift was good and we were able to keep brewing and, and keep stuff going, but Obviously, when we can make IPAs and other fresh beers and sell them for, you know, six, six to eight bucks a glass in our brewery, I mean, that's what our business is based around. So we got by, but we certainly, you know, did that at best was kind of get by. And now it's now it's starting to feel better for sure. So I want to talk about wood uh, because it's one of those, uh, you know, X factor ingredients that your brewery has really become known for and obviously was was built around with the with with the original concept um for for those who don't know what a solera is can you give us just the the quick tutorial sure Uh, a solera system and it doesn't even necessarily have to be on an oak but it's the idea that you're starting with an original vessel of be it beer uh spirits vinegar, any kind of ageable product, and we're only taking out a half or third of the amount at a time and then adding fresh product back in. And so the thought is, and and because of our move, it kind of interrupted it, elements of those original batches from five years ago still have an impact on the products we're making today. And um, unfortunately, we did have to do a bit of a reset so we could move moving big oak vessels full of liquid. This is impossible. So we had a little bit of a reset 
and honestly shaved down the amount of tanks we have to make the move make sense. And now I'm kind of feeling like I need to start rebuilding that. Uh, cool thing I noticed, Fooder Crafters, who we use, is mm-hmm. offering a really great deal for brewers to, to get into Fooders this year as far as um, making it really financially easy to do. But, um, you know, we had to kind of restart. But so that's a big process for us in the original batches was brewing what was like a mixed culture type farmhouse beer and pulling amounts to make dry hop things or fruited things. And um, it's still something we, we do, but it's definitely on a smaller scale now that all these other projects like really take up a lot of our capacity and time. Um, do you guys have a house culture, like uh, something that you think uniquely represents you and your brewery when it comes to, to your mixed culture beers? Yeah, we do. Uh, I mean, it's not something that we like. It's like really crazy out there or anything, but it's a mix of different pitches that we like from different labs. I think about three different labs, uh, honestly, from the East Coast to the West Coast. So we're sourcing stuff from a few different labs and they just kind of have landed all together. And we just keep, you know, right now I know in our sour cellar in the middle fermenter is the freshest batch of mixed culture beer so we'll pull it off of that tank and and use it to ferment the next and honestly i think we've only rebuilt that one time in the last five years so it's been chilling with us for a minute we keep it going so uh that piece has carried over from the old facility but uh yeah i mean we, we we've got a pitch that has a moderate acidity and nice apricot stone fruit type character to it is definitely a piece of that but the other big thing is that we do we do spontaneous batches as well and um you know that's that's yeast from this this part of town kind of thing so um and we'll do a lot of times we'll after emptying a spontaneous barrel we'll we'll put some of our fooder base back in the barrels and and create different things with that. And that definitely helps create even more identity and flavor profile. That's more specific to us. You were doing spontaneous over at the, the old location too. Yeah. So we've only done a few batches here. We actually, in this location, uh, people look through like our social media or something. We built like a really excellent, like cool ship room in this new building that has, movers up in the top that can open up and then windows lower that can open as well. So we can create really good convection in there, but it's lined with Oak staves from fooders. Uh, the whole room is, and then we've got a 30 barrel cool ship inside. So we're able to use it a few times this season. And it's not something we're trying to do any more of than we need. Like it's not, it's something we do for the love of it. And so, doing a few batches a year is enough to kind of keep the keep the ball rolling on that and keep me excited about it without filling our full, whole brewery full of spawn barrels because the other side of that is people really like the stouts we make so yeah. uh I, i've got to i've got to have room for that oak too so it's a balance in here and, and we separate it with separate cellars and an enclosed room for the clean beer and um do it you know just do it enough i mean the big thing for our brewery is we could get to 
between, you know, two and 3000 barrels of production, like I'm pretty happy with that and don't necessarily feel a need to make a whole lot of extra beer for the sake of market share or increased sales. Like we can all, we can all make everyone, we got a small crew here and we can make a good living from that. And, and that makes me happy. So, so we're, we're, we're doing the, the spawn here as well. And like I said, it's, it's pretty cool. Little, little spawn cool ship room that we made and uh, a focal point in our facility. I mean, obviously the equipment is different, um, but have you noticed in the few batches that you've made at the new place, have you noticed any, I don't know, aroma or flavor differences, even just having moved a couple of miles away? I haven't tasted them. Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, I don't touch the stuff for at least, you know, six to, 10 months before we're even worried about what it might taste like really um so it's in the barrels i hope it (laughs) i hope it tastes good but honestly i'm not even totally sure i guess i could go get a drill and a nail and try some of the stuff but but just as important as the oak in our brewery is the time we let stuff sit so it's okay and, and honestly doing a few batches at a time if it's all fucked up it's like whatever like we'll We'll do it again. We'll see. We'll kind of look at our notes and see if there's something that maybe we overlooked in the time because what, you know, temperature is a, a variable in that type of product as well. And yeah, we make And you guys a, have temperature we, swings we there 80, as well. We yeah. get an 80 degree weekend in January. Right. You know, and, and those are awesome when they hit, but they're not ideal for making spontaneous beer. So we'll see. It's, it's, it's one of those projects that like, yeah, the space would be better used if I didn't have it in there and I have more room for other equipment, but it matters to me. So we'll keep doing it. Even if it is just a, a couple blends a year. As a, as a brewer, I mean, you're obviously doing session IPAs that you can turn around pretty quick. And there's, you know, there's some loggers that you're making that I want to talk about in a minute, but um, you know, that'll take a couple of weeks to, to turn around, but I don't know the importance of time and the importance of patience. I, I'm curious of your approach as a brewer for that, of, of, of not tasting something for, for six or seven months. Like, are, are you able to compartmentalize parts of your brewing brain to just put it out of mind? Or are these things always just sort of bubbling to the surface of worry, anxiety, curiosity, whatever the word might be? Sure. No, I mean, the big thing about it, especially, I mean, it's just like we've been so rewarded with patience that it's it's just feels okay to me and we're just so damn busy otherwise that um it's okay just to kind of forget that stuff's over there uh and that was an interesting thing is so when you're trying to move your brewery across town and you can't necessarily move full vessels i had to make a couple of spawn blends even with some of the younger stuff i had to just feel okay about dumping some things that i didn't know where they were necessarily going and getting rid of it and effectively starting over like we did bring successfully bring i think about a dozen or 14 full stout barrels over that have been aging for about a year and since have since packaged those out and and made really excellent beers but the the way we took care of our spawn and our sour beer that was in barrels and fooders is and we're just now to packaging them is we wrapped it onto fruit allowed fermentation to occur and then mid fermentation drove stainless totes over here uh to try to keep that beer 
going, but, but moving is, is really difficult. So yeah. now I've got just a bunch of fresh beer and it's like, I know it's just not ready. Like we kind of had to reset. So, um, through the spawn batches, forget about them and worry about packaging all these other fruited projects. And like yesterday we just bottled like a two year old spawn on a mix of Balaton, Montmorency cherries. But that's how we did it is we racked all our spawn barrels onto the fruit, got the fermentation and, and drove them in. And the reason we did it that way is we're really trying to avoid uh, O2 pickup and making our beer taste shitty so yeah it, it, we're pretty happy with the results and and again that's that's an interesting part of our our sour program too is that was bottled in clear 750s the thought being that the hops are quite old that we're using and we shouldn't have issues and and we kind of say we don't really care if you get it some light struck qualities or anything like we want to challenge that idea and we could be wrong but it sure looks cool uh and then so that's that's a big piece, like with our, our sour program and how it's evolved as well is is kind of thinking about the different ways that we package and present it and price it to people. Uh, and that's that's been a big, big piece of navigating. Is this ready to use? Do we just need to forget about it? What can we do with this to keep people excited about these styles of beer? So you, uh, you've kept your price point relatively. I don't know accessible yeah and i mean that's just categorizing the beers we're making like we also we did that but we also did a lower concentrate cherry mixed culture beer and put it in 12 ounce cans can condition <laughs> mixed culture cherry beer and that sounds like fun. yeah we did like it's 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 interesting because a beer like that that we would have packaged in say single 500 milliliter bottles or something like to that extent a few years ago and, and sold for 14 bucks a bottle. We're now packaging off of a, you know, wild goose canning line and selling four packs of for the same price. And so it's just one of those things. I think the way the market's moved, if you still want to make these styles of beer in, in that way, like you just have to be okay with not being able to put as much, you know, money in, in your pocket from from producing them like it's just there's it's the only way like people are gonna get to them is if you make them accessible you mentioned stouts um obviously before american solera you were at another brewery that uh is fairly well known for making stouts that uh that that get folks excited um what do you think goes into making a world-class stout like what is because there's a lot of stouts that are out there these days. A lot of them are heavily adjuncted, and um, that can be fun and, 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 and fine. But when we're talking about just base stouts, what do you sure. look for? Uh, you know, that's that's a really interesting question. And, and one that, like, we kind of got into on, on accident, honestly. Because, like, we had, like, the recipes and things that we were doing at Prairie that uh, are and still make, like, really excellent beers. And I know since then they've developed some different stout recipes too mm -hmm. but like the first one where it like was a really big tipping point for us and it's a i guess it's what they would call a whale is the <laughs> sons of darkness beer that we did with uh 18th street here about three or so years ago and the whole thought on that beer is we'd just gotten a new brew house and drew was going to come into town and we were like let's let's just throw everything we can at this brew house and see 
where it's a breaking point is as far as <laughs> amount of all, all the things we can do. I think you're treating we, it like we, a rental car. Yeah. We, uh, we, we filled her as full as we could with, with malt and then boiled as long as we could. I think we, we finally got the kettle full after a couple mashes and, or maybe we just did one and just did a smaller batch, but you know, we finally got the kettle full and started the boil and we went and went and had like a steak dinner and like left for a few hours and then, and then, and then came back and as we're coming back, the thing's boiling over and it was just like, kind of like, oh shit. And, uh, we get it under control and then it was like, we, we pitched and let it go. And then tasting it later, we were like, this, this, uh, this is pretty like pretty sweet. I mean, it seems like we're not going to get any more out of it, but what do we do? And so we rack it to barrels and I don't know if it was going to mold or be weird or, or anything. Cause like we just, I just never dealt with beer that had that much residual sweetness and body and thickness to it. And we put it into barrels and said, well, we'll, it's a small project. We'll just, whatever happens happens. And the result is that beer. And yeah, it's, Un, unadjuncted but incredibly thick and sweet boozy result so um being the the big thing for me and and, and the definition i think of world class stout has has changed over the years because mm-hmm. like north coast makes a version of imperial stout that is world class is it different than what we're making a hundred percent uh so obviously tastes are changing and what people are excited about, but it doesn't make, I don't think those styles any less important, but it's just kind of this crazy, crazy thing. Now what people are doing with that style and um, it's fun to play with for sure. So, but for us, it's been feeling okay. Cause like I used to make stouts like that. I mean, I was brewing Imperial stouts, you know, a decade ago and aging them in whiskey barrels and, the things we did then and the things we're doing now are, are not the same. And as a brewer that's been brewing for, you know, the better part of a decade, it made me uncomfortable to do do things the way that we do. I had to kind of allow myself to do things that felt like maybe wasn't right as a traditional brewer. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, I think you do it a couple of times as far as taking what you've learned and being okay with, it, it, you got to get to the end results. So for me, that was a journey that took, you know, a year and a half of getting to finished beer and being blown away by the results and then feeling comfortable and okay with the fact that we're brewing these beers and pitching fresh packages of yeast and not making big like yeast starters like we used to and not, you know, maybe oxygenating the beer for, you know, the next day and like doing all these tricks feeding the sugar into the beer later, like doing all these tricks to create continued attenuation where these beers are thick because they're sweet, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but you have to balance that too, or it can be a mess. So, um, allowing ourselves to be okay with feeling like it doesn't feel right. Like took me, cause it took a little bit, but I'd say we're there. As you're, for sure. yeah. So, on the wood front, um, you were mentioning photographs uh, earlier, um, and and one of the things these days is brewers have choice. So you can pick the type of wood that you like. You can pick the level of toast that you like. Um, 
what have you found speaks to you or are you still sort of bouncing all over the place and trying to we're not too crazy i mean the big piece about it now is we have just our light toasted fooders that are really neutral and then we also now have a couple that are have cooling tins in them still we stick with the light toast on those uh because the big thing is is we're trying to make that stock beer so a piece we're getting back to is using that stock beer and then taking it and doing a project say in 59 gallon chardonnay barrels sauvignon blanc red wine barrels that are specific to variety so using that as just a stock and then moving to smaller barrels that have character from what was previously in them or the type of wood it is it is really the move we're doing but the interesting thing is is like it's in our sour cellar but we do our best to keep it separate is the two with cooling pins in them we're actually doing loggers in and trying to just keep them as clean as we can and packaging on that side in the 16 ounce cans of lager that were you know oak fermenting lagering and and kind of solari not necessarily but we kind of empty it we have two of them so one month we're brewing into one and and then the next month we're brewing into the next and each month we're packaging out of one of the tanks but we're not rinsing them or doing anything like that we're just kind of feeding them new new wort and fermenting them cold and that's what i was sort of curious about have you noticed an evolution of flavor as you've done that because i mean so much of what people think of as lager is sort of this uniform you know tastes the same every time um but if you are using a fooder it it, it is going to evolve um, and we may screw it up and then get a little bit of <laughs> acid character or something to them over time uh we're doing our best we can to kind of let them operate separately but we're not scared of them changing like that i mean if we want to clean easy drinking, ready to go lager. We'll just produce it in the other side. Yeah. Uh, so we're okay with those wandering. And, and a thing I think we're playing with right now is wandering is a good word. Te- te- temperatures on fermentation and in ways that allow maybe the Oak to play a role in that. Like, like what temperatures are you talking about? I mean, it's nothing crazy, but if we're, we were fermenting and loaf, you know, 50, degrees maybe we'll do one at 56 like so creeping up rather than down creeping up with the idea that creating a little bit warmer beer potentially is going to interact with the oak a little bit differently and obviously it's going to be slightly more estery but it's just it's like a fooder lager so we're okay with that and maybe that's not necessarily what others are trying to achieve uh doing this type of process because it's not it's an old idea but it's a new concept for brewers like ourselves so uh, we just want to play with it like there's just nothing stopping us from doing that you know i think the next round they want to condition in the cans versus condition you know carbonate in the tank and just playing with it you know where our, our production is our production is small enough and our consumers understand us well enough that creating variables and playing with it and, and evolving it. And maybe we'll get it to like, we're like, this is so perfect. I never want it to taste different, but um, it's fun to play with. So I think we'll, we'll, we'll keep tweaking it as we go. Well, now you're making me thirsty for a lager. We're recording this early on a Wednesday morning and I think we're both having coffee, but now I want to, <laughs> now I need a fooder aged lager. Um, 
I've been asking folks recently, you know, because our world has been upended so much, um, what are you looking forward to getting back to? What have you been missing over the last couple of months of restrictions and lockdowns? And um, doesn't maybe, have to be beer, but yeah. no, I like you know enjoying a beer out, like going out to dinner with my wife. <laughs> uh, I remember you know, restaurants. Got, yeah, yeah. Except we got two little boys, and we love them to death. But man, we're <laughs> we're spending a lot of time with them. Yeah, uh, for sure, because they're not in school and. Uh, that's hard. Like, and so actually tonight will be the second time we've, we'll have a little bit of childcare and we'll go to at least a patio somewhere to, to get a little bit of that. So, um, and just being able to, to go out, man, I think a lot of people probably feels, yeah, feel that way for sure. It's, it's been, uh, it's been a long time. So, uh, and, and, you know, getting to be able to get out and, show support to those places that have struggled as a result of this is it's a big deal you know we want to be able to do that so so yeah we'll we'll one-on-one time and we'll we'll dining out will be a lot of fun well enjoy it um chase thanks so much for being on the show i really appreciate it yeah absolutely it's a blast anytime uh, happy to ramble on about the one thing or another we always got something interesting going on over here That's Chase Healy of American Solera, proof that even the best intentions of honing in on one thing in beer these days is difficult. Give the people what they want, but stay true to yourself as well is something that's guiding a lot of breweries well these days. I've started a map of all these beer road trip routes that I want to take after COVID-19 restrictions are lifted, and now Tulsa is back on the list, and perhaps I'll see you there. We're in July now. And like so many of you, I was hopeful that we'd be back out in the world, but alas, as the governor in my state has pointed out, there's quite a few knuckleheads spoiling it for all of us, so I'll be doing phone shows for the next, well, however long it takes. I already have some good ones planned out, but I'll be booking more soon. So who do you suggest to get a turn behind the mic? Send me a note. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And be sure to check out BeerEdge.com for articles and more. And please subscribe to our newsletter. Nate Weber did the music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. Andy Crouch doesn't always return my calls, but he does do the Beer Edge podcast. And you should subscribe and listen to that. His latest episode has Natalie Trillerzo from Russian River talking about how the brewery has gone back into startup mode. And it's a listen that you'll definitely find interesting. New episodes of this show come out every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back again to drink beer and to think beer. And I hope you'll tune in.